Welcome to Living Word Ministries with director and Bible teacher, Debbie Blank. Each week, Debbie examines current events through the lens of end times Bible prophecies. Please visit our website for information and past programs at livingwordministry.org. Now let's open our Bibles to focus on truths from God's Word with Debbie Blank. Several decades ago, I read a book by Frank Peretti entitled This Present Darkness. It gave me my first major glimpse outside the Bible into the spiritual warfare that rages in the heavenlies. Since then, I've understood from the Bible, as well as some personal observation, the spiritual battle raging in our world today. It's a consummate conflict against good and evil, against God and Satan. And it's not unusual since the confrontation has been going on since the time of Adam and Eve. Today, we're going to get a glimpse of a spiritual war that's going to take place in the heavenlies, which affects everyone on earth. We'll see why Satan is so angry, what his tactics are, and how the people of God overcome him. In addition, we will again see that God wins. I'm Debbie Blank. Stay tuned as we delve into the depths of angelic beings, both good and evil. And I'm co-host Jackie Sailors. Last week, we saw two amazing signs in the heavens, the woman Israel and Satan, the dragon. When Satan's attempts to destroy the Messiah fail, he turns against the woman to destroy Israel and God's kingdom plan. The war is real. We can see the persecution Satan has stirred up against Israel and the Jews throughout the ages up to this day, as well as against followers of the Messiah. But on the Lord's side, there are mighty angelic warriors who have been faithfully pushing back on Satan stroke by stroke. Today, we will look at who they are and their future decisive victory, which will bring rejoicing in the heavens, but woe to the earth. Jackie, we talked last week about how a third of the stars of heaven were thrown down to earth with Satan. That's from Revelation 12:4. That means a third of all the angels followed Satan instead of following God. But praise the Lord that two-thirds followed God. That's really awesome, because if we look at the purpose of angels, their purpose is to minister to us, to those of us who's been saved. It tells us in Hebrews 1.14, Are not all ministering spirits sent out to render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation? So we have two-thirds of the angels that God created that are designed to help us, those of us who are going to inherit salvation. And we think of them as helping us here on earth. But you know what? They're also helping us in heaven. What it says here in Daniel 10.12 is... Then he said to me, and that's the angel, to Daniel, Do not be afraid, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand this and on humbling yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I've come in response to your words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia was withstanding me for 21 days. Then behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I had been left there with the kings of Persia. So Daniel had an angel speaking to him in this earth, but before the angel could answer the prayer that God had sent him to answer for Daniel, there were heavenly battles that were taking place. So we understand that these demons who are the fallen angels can and do wreak havoc on this earth as well as fighting battles in heaven. And as we turn to Revelation 12 verse 7 today, we see that very thing when it says there was a war in heaven. 
Michael and his angels waging war with the dragon. And the dragon and his angels waged war, and they were not strong enough, and there was no longer a place found for them in heaven. What an encouragement to know that they aren't strong enough to combat the good angels that we have who are protecting us and watching over the world and doing God's bidding. It's interesting because they are strong. They're strong enough to put up a good fight. They're strong enough to delay Gabriel from getting to Daniel. It took 21 days, and he needed the help of Michael the archangel to do that. So there's a real battle. There's a lot of pushback that's happening, but our side is stronger. And so we're going to see that play out again here in Revelation. You know, there's only two angels who are mentioned by name in Scripture. One is Gabriel, the other is Michael, as you have just mentioned. Michael is mentioned four times. The passage we just read in Revelation 12, the one we just talked about in Daniel 10. And then in Daniel 12, 1, it tells us, Now at that time, Michael, the great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people will arise, and there will be a time of distress such as never occurred since there was a nation until that time. This is talking about the tribulation period that's going to take place. And it says that Michael, the great prince of Israel, because he's the one who stands guard over the sons of your people, he's going to rise. And that's what we're seeing here in Revelation. In Jude 1, 9, we also see a passage about Michael. It says, Michael, the archangel, when he disputed with the devil and argued about the body of Moses, did not dare pronounce against him a railing judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. So angels are limited in what they can do. They can't rebuke Satan because Michael didn't. He leaves that to God. And we should too, by the way, when it comes to judgment, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. We should not be taking judgment out on other people, just as Michael did not in this situation. When I think of the woman, the sign of the woman, Israel, and how she'll be pursued by the dragon, And then God talks about the protection that she's going to have in the wilderness for the 1,260 days. And it makes me wonder, when you just brought this up about Michael being the the prince that stands guard over Israel, over Daniel's people, it makes me wonder what kind of a role Michael will be playing in protecting the woman for that 1,260 days. Perhaps that's why God puts this story right here in the middle of Revelation, because this is the time when his people are going to be supernaturally protected by God as they go in the wilderness. Well, let's look at a little bit about angels. We don't hear people talk about angels too much, but it's important to understand their purpose, why they're here and what they do. Angels are mentioned 71 times just in the book of Revelation. Obviously, they're mentioned hundreds of times throughout the scripture. And did you know they have an organization and responsibilities? For example, we just read a passage about Michael being called the archangel. They're also called chief princes and ruling angels and guardian angels, seraphim, cherubim. As a matter of fact, if we look at Ezekiel 28, 14, it will tell us that Satan was a cherubim. The cherubim angels were designed to guard the holiness of God. So Satan was right there honoring God all the time before pride entered and he fell. Just because fallen angels have fallen away from God's plan for them doesn't mean that they don't have the same characteristics as angels because they do. They are created beings. They did not just happen. God made them just as he made us, but he made them differently. According to Job 38, 7, they were created before the world was created. They're spirit beings. We saw that when I read Hebrews 1.14. 
They don't reproduce. That means they're not like us in physical bodies and they don't die. So they cannot have other angel beings. The only angels we have are the ones that God has already created. They have great power, both for or against God's will. They're ministering spirits for us. The good ones are. According to Luke chapter 20, men right now are lower than them, but eventually we will judge angels. And obviously that would be the bad angels because there's nothing to judge about the good angels. Jesus also in Hebrews 2, 9 made himself out for a little while to be lower than the angels, but that was only for a time, only in his position as man, because he's the creator of angels. So obviously he's above angels and angels also don't have the Holy Spirit. And on another aspect of this, fallen angels do not have the opportunity to be saved because Jesus Christ came for mankind to save us from our sins. He didn't come for the angels. The angels don't have spirits. They don't have souls. They were made differently than us. So fallen angels will not have an opportunity to turn to Christ. They will go into eternal hell. As a matter of fact, according to Matthew 25, hell was designed for the devil and his angels. Hell was not designed for mankind. But when mankind sinned, that became the final option for those who would not believe in the Messiah. You know, also, as you've gone through all these characteristics, it becomes pretty obvious that there's a misconception where some people think that when we die, we become angels and we don't become angels. Angels are a different creation entirely. We end up being resurrected beings, but we're not angels. That's correct. There are other people who think that we were angels in heaven before we were born on earth. That's not true either, because Psalm 139 says we are fearfully and wonderfully made, that God created us in our mother's womb, and he knew the days that were ordained for us, when as yet there were not any of them. God does not make us out to be angels at one time and then humans at another, or vice versa. It's also important to realize what the purposes of angels are, and that's to protect us, to watch over us, to honor God, to worship him, to do his bidding. Demons, on the other hand, follow Satan. They do what Satan wants. They want to destroy us because like so many other people, when their lives are miserable, they want everyone else to be in misery with them. Plus, they're following Satan, and Satan wants them to do his bidding, which is to turn people away from God. Now, we have to understand that demons cannot indwell believers in Jesus Christ because we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Demons can indwell non-believers, and we see that in the Bible all the time when Jesus was casting out demons. So we are safe from them indwelling us, but demons are pretty crafty. They know our buttons and they can push them a lot. They know where we're vulnerable and they tempt us a lot. Remember that Satan and his followers are not omniscient. They're not all powerful. They can't know what we're thinking because they cannot access our brain internally, but they certainly know from our actions where our hearts are. So they can tempt us. We need to be careful because this is a true spiritual battle that takes place in heaven and on earth all the time and will consistently until Jesus returns. And one other thing about angels, and we are so grateful to have the angels when we read about how they're ministering spirits to us and to God in heaven and their different functions and how they guard over the people. But we don't worship angels. Angels are clearly, again, a different creature. They are not part of the Godhead, but it became popular a few years ago 
to just give such veneration to angels that some people were crossing the line. And so we don't want to do that. Absolutely not. We worship God and God alone. As a matter of fact, in the book of Revelation, there's two places where John fell down to worship an angel and the angel said, no, stand up, worship God and him only. And not just worshiping angels, but focusing on angels. Angels are not to be worshiped or honored. It's God that is to be. So let's not focus on them. Let's not try and pray to them because they have no power before the Lord to speak for us unless God so chooses that to be. Let's go directly to God because he tells us to pray to him through Jesus Christ. Now, as we read that passage again in Revelation twelve seven, there's a war going on in heaven. And who's warring? It's Michael who stands up for the good angels. And it's Satan, the dragon, it says. But we know from the previous chapter that the dragon is Satan. And the dragon is his angels waged war too. But they weren't strong enough. So they were sent down to the earth. The dragon's thrown down to the earth. That means that the dragon had access to heaven. How is that possible? Well, we know that he was a cherubim before the throne prior to his falling. And we know from this passage, as well as Job, that there are times that he can go before the throne of God, but only when God allows him to come. He does not have access 100% of the time, but instead has limited access to God. God remains in absolute control whenever Satan is involved because God is sovereign over everything. And we know from Matthew 25, 41, that Satan will eventually be judged and relegated to eternal hell, which, as I mentioned before, was created for the devil and his angels. And we'll see that when we get to Revelation chapter 20. And then when eternal heaven comes, there's going to be no more hell, no more evil, no more Satan, no more demons. It's only going to be God and what's good. But for now, we do have Satan and his adversaries. But then we got to get back to the question is, how does Satan have access to God? Because when you think about it, we're always saying that no one who is in sin can have access to God and his heavenlies. Well, Satan is the ultimate of sin and hatred. So how can a holy God allow sin into heaven? And that's what we're going to talk about next. When we picture Satan coming to give an account of himself before God, even though he's there to be held accountable, how can God allow sin into heaven? Well, think about it. Satan's not a human being. Satan is a being, but not human. God will not allow man's sin to enter heaven. And yet, even so, God did allow it. If you read Isaiah chapter 6, you see that Isaiah went before the throne of God. In Revelation chapter 4, verse 1, John goes before the throne of God. Paul, we know, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, was caught up to the third heaven. So he was in the presence of God. Then, of course, we know that Satan, the demon, was in the presence of God in Job chapter 1. And eventually, when we get to Revelation 20, we will see that all unbelievers who are in sin go to the presence of God for judgment. So there are times when God allows sin to come in his presence in the form of mankind or in the form of Satan or possibly with demons. But it's not forever, number one. Number two, it's at his calling, at his bidding for his purpose. And again, it's only temporary. We know from Habakkuk 1.13 
that God, it says, you are of purer eyes than to behold evil and cannot look at wickedness. God hates evil and he will not allow it eternally in his kingdom. When we get to the end of Revelation, we're going to see that too. But he does allow it according to his timing, according to his purpose. And that's what we see right here as we look at the idea of Satan ever being before the throne of God. And continuing then with verse 9 of Revelation 12, it says, And the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old who is called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down, the one who accuses them before our God day and night. And they overcame him because of the blood of the Lamb and because of the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives even when faced with death. For this reason rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has come down to you with great wrath, knowing that he has only a short time. Boy, those verses are power-packed. When this war takes place in heaven, Michael and the good angels win. Praise the Lord, because God always is the victor. And it says Satan wasn't strong enough to fight the angels. That gives us encouragement that when we feel tempted or when we feel demonic oppression, all we have to do is call on God to send his angels to protect us or to protect us himself. First, we see in verse 9 and then again in verse 10 that the dragon is thrown down. He is now relegated to the earth. That means he no longer has access to heaven. God has closed that door. Satan can't go around in the heavenlies whenever he wants or whenever God allows. He cannot have access to God. He's thrown down to the earth. So what's that going to do? That's going to make him mad. You can imagine right now, Satan has access to everything that God allows him to have access to. So he doesn't have all the time to focus on you and me. Well, when he's thrown down to the earth, that's all he's going to do. He's going to pull out all the stops to try and destroy everyone, specifically the Jews, so that Jesus Christ cannot come back for them if they're not here. But he's also going to draw everybody else away from God. We will see that next week in how much he has the power and what he's going to try and do. But what's great is as he's thrown down to earth, there's a loud voice in heaven that rejoices by saying the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. Again, we have the era's tense, so we don't know the exact timing of this, but it's going to happen after Satan is cast down to the earth. They're rejoicing because now heaven's lease will never see Satan again. And the power and the kingdom of God and the salvation of God are going to be open in a new way. Well, that's interesting because if Satan's down here tempting everyone more than before, if people are worshiping Satan more than before, then how can that be positive for salvation? How can the kingdom of God spread when that happens? We know that in life, when persecution happens, we have two choices. We can get mad and blame and turn away from God, or we can turn to God. And that's exactly what happens in those verses that you read. In verse 11, 
they overcame him because the blood of the lamb. Now think about that. The people who are on earth at this time are going to overcome Satan. Now, are they going to defeat him? No, because he continues to do his billing until Jesus Christ returns and sends him into the abyss. So the people aren't going to overcome him by physical means, but they are by the word of their testimony. And what is the word of their testimony? Jesus Christ. Their testimony is standing on the truth of who they are in Jesus Christ and not backing down to the wiles of the devil. And then it goes on to say they didn't love their life even to death. So they did not put their lives in front of standing up for the word of testimony for Jesus Christ. Whoa, wouldn't that be something if we who aren't tempted by Satan, who aren't going to be in this situation, would live like this? who have a strong testimony of our faith in Jesus Christ. We have hope in eternal life through Jesus Christ. We have everything that God has promised that we will have. And so we're not afraid to die, that we'll be willing to stand up against anyone who challenges us in our faith and always stand up for Jesus Christ. That's what these martyrs are going to do. And they're going to be martyred. But they will be up in heaven. We know from Revelation 7, that great multitude that comes out of the great tribulation, who can be singing and rejoicing and praising God in heaven. That makes me think of 2 Corinthians 4, 17, that says, For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory, far beyond all comparison. Why we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. That's where our focus must always be. And when that happens, we overcome Satan because we do not allow him to take us away from our faith in Jesus Christ. That's why this passage ends in Revelation 12, 12. For this reason, rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil's been thrown down, having great wrath, knowing he only has a short time. So the earth is going to be in turmoil. But those who stand in faith on our Lord Jesus Christ will overcome. They will be saved by Jesus Christ. They will go into eternal heaven. So continuing on with verse 13, it says, And when the dragon saw that he was thrown down to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. But the two wings of the great eagle were given to the woman so that she could fly into the wilderness to her place where she was nourished for a time, times, and half a time away from the presence of the serpent. Now that reminds us of verse 6 in Revelation 12. Because as God talked about those two signs at the very end of talking about Israel, that sign in heaven, and the Satan and that sign in heaven, and his wanting to devour her child, Jesus, it says in verse six, and the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared for her so that she might be nourished for 1260 days. Well, that's what it's saying here. The wings of the great eagle were given to her that she would go into the wilderness in her place. Now, that great eagle doesn't mean an airplane. It could be, but I doubt it. I think it means swift removal from where they are. And clearly, God's going to be behind this. Can God do that? Can God hide a large number of Jews somewhere? Of course he can. He brought millions of Israelites out of Egypt and helped them with everything they needed for 40 years in the desert. And then before they even did that, they crossed the Red Sea and he saved them from all of the Egyptians. 
He can do anything. This won't be a big deal for him. And when it says times, times, and half a time in verse 14, that correlates with 1,260 days of three and a half years. You can see that same time frame. Time is a year, times is two years, and half a time is a half a year. In Daniel 7.25 and 12.7, it uses that same phrase. So when the dragon is thrown down to earth in the middle of the tribulation, because that's the time period we're in, he's going to go after the Jews with vengeance because they're the ones who gave birth to the Messiah. Again, if he can take care of the Jews and destroy them, then that makes God out to be a liar. He can't return for the Jews. God is going to supernaturally protect him. And even the serpent, it says in verse 15, poured out water like a river out of his mouth after the woman so that he might cause her to be swept away with a flood. Uh, Is that literal water? We don't really know. Is it persecution? Is it a flood? Is it false teaching? Is it an army? We don't know. But if the Jews are going to a place called Petra, which is where a lot of people believe God's going to protect them from, for many reasons, if they go there, that's a wadi. And when it rains, that wadi floods. As a matter of fact, when we were last in Petra, they wouldn't let us into the city because of water, because of flooding. Now they did because the rain stopped, but we could really understand how the river could be poured out to destroy and destroy them if they were in Petra. Verse 16 says, the earth helped the woman and the earth opened up its mouth and drank up the river, which the dragon poured out of her mouth. Well, because of the way this reads, I think it's really water that somehow Satan is allowed to pour out on these people. But God opened up the earth and took care of it. Verse 17, and the dragon was enraged with the woman and went off to make war with the rest of her offspring who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. Now, this is very interesting because he's going after the Jews. This tells us right here, he's going after the rest of her offspring, which are the Jews, as well as those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. So he's going after Christians here too, people who have believed in Jesus, either Jews or non-Jews. This is going to be quite the time. Now, I said that people believe that this is Petra, the place they're going to. Petra is one of the seven wonders of the world that is in the nation of Jordan, which is just a short two-hour drive from Jerusalem. The entrance to Petra is only 10 to 12 feet wide. The mountains around it are 200 to 1,000 feet high. It's one mile long just to walk through the entrance to get to Petra with those 10 to 12 foot wide entrances. It's 102 square miles. Now think of that, New York City is 300 square miles. So it's about a third the size of New York, which is huge. So it is a great place that people could be hidden from their adversaries. Now, obviously, if you have an airplane, you could fly over and see, but God's going to supernaturally protect them. So the devil is not going to be able to see them in this. How awesome is our God? He is so faithful to continue to protect his people in this situation so that they can come through the tribulation and move into the millennial kingdom with him. So yes, there is a war that's continually raging in heaven and on earth. And while we are in the midst of that battle constantly, we always know who wins because the Bible tells us so. As children of God, we can overcome through the blood of the lamb. Isaiah 9, 6 tells us that. And through the word of our testimony, 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5 reminds us of that. 
and also not loving our lives, but focusing on Jesus. So we need to lay aside every encumbrance and the sin that so easily entangles us and run with endurance the race that's set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Thank you for joining us today on Living Word Ministries with Debbie Blank. This is a listener-supported show. If you'd like to support this program or contact Debbie Blank, you may do so at P.O. Box 540-003, Omaha, Nebraska, 68154, or visit our website at livingwordministry.org. Please tune in each week at this same time for Living Word Ministries with Debbie Blank.